Welcome to Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach with Mark Gellard and Candy Reid. It's time for a new edition of Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach with Mark Gellard. Mark, um, where in the world are you now? We have to make sure we check in each week because uh, I, for one, have no idea most of the time. Hi, Candy. Hi, everyone listening. I'm actually back home in Florida. Um, I came back for five days on a small or short uh, personal trip here. Brought my dad over to watch a couple of the Florida Panthers hockey games. They just snuck into the playoffs at the last minute. And I spoke to the boss and Magda said, sure, you can have five days off. So uh, she she went uh, to Warsaw and spent a few days at home. And I've run back home to Florida to watch, which it didn't go well last night. We had a bad loss. So I'm hoping tomorrow's game against the Bruins will go better when did your love affair with hockey begin you know it's weird actually in England it was growing up when I was about eight years old they had a local team in Bracknell and uh <laughs> yeah used to go there and got hooked on it and so it's such a great sport and um I think it's so far away from tennis that actually it's a really nice thing to do you know it's not a racket sport it's on ice it's a team sport it's so different it's just I just love the whole dynamic I think in if I could start my life over again I'd be in that sport for sure really enjoy it do you like the whole uh, bashing each other like being sitting on the ice and watching them sort of really take each other apart sometimes it, yes but I think that that's that's actually kind of a little bit more of what you get to see when it when you probably see anything on tv or, or about hockey it will be because of that it's not happening that much you know that's like uh the occasional times that happens but it's just it's a physical sport I, I i just think they're probably the best athletes in the world i mean what they do um the hand-eye coordination strength speed power endurance stamina and then and then to do your job but then do it on ice it's it's incredible how good they are i'm surprised you said that actually so you think um perhaps that ice hockey players are better athletes overall than tennis players I, I would, yes, I would say yes. And and one thing that's really um, would, would make you maybe surprise you is I think that they have, I don't want to say better, but their hand-eye coordination is outstanding because a lot of the ways they train are to tip pucks in, in front of the net. So the goalies are so good now that if you shoot and the goalie can see it, they're going to save it. Whereas what happens, you have to have a guy stand in front of the net and they're literally taking a 100 miles an hour slap shot and trying to tap it. With, or deflect it in right in front of the net the, 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 the coordination is unbelievable and if you ever get time or the opportunity to go watch a hockey team practice it's it's brilliant do you find that it actually helps your coaching watching other sports absolutely i watch a lot of hockey and then i watch actually i watch a lot of hockey coaching conferences they have some online that you can watch so it's a completely different thing because they're talking about hockey they're talking about a team but they give you the completely different perspective because if you talk to tennis coaches, they'll give you some other ideas, but it'll be similar in style. Whereas um, HBO did a great, uh, they do a great show 24 seven, which goes behind the team, uh, behind the scenes with some teams. Love that. Um, any of that kind of behind the scenes stuff I love and coaching conferences just to see what they're talking about and how much they're using the statistics and the video and all that kind of stuff. When you're at tournaments, do you speak to other coaches about their coaching philosophies? 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I have. There's obviously a group of coaches. That I, I, I know most of the coaches. I would say that you see week in and week out. And yeah, definitely during dinner and stuff like that, we'll talk about uh, what they're working on. I like to pick brains of other coaches, and they'll ask me questions and um, try and get different ideas because I think uh, it, it's always good to see what other people are doing and, and different ideas. You know, you never know what you're missing on, and you go, "Oh, I like that. I'm going to steal that and tell Magda it was my idea." <laughs> Do you find some of the coaches, particularly if you're, you could be playing them, are a little bit cagey as to what they give up? And then the next week, say, your players are on opposite sides of the draws and then they're, they're more happy to talk. Yeah, you know, a lot of coaches look at, so like even down in Australia when they had a run, I, I never looked at the draw. I never knew who we were playing next. So I could have been talking to the coach that next day or that day before, sorry, about something because I wouldn't have known. That it, I would say I'm probably a little more in the minority. Uh, most coaches know the draw, who they would play if they win, etc. Um, so they'll probably be more cagey than I would. But one thing, when I'm talking to coaches about things, it will be more about my philosophies, things I might like to do in training, but it will never be the specifics of what I'm working on with Magda or what I'm getting her to do. Um, because that yeah, I never will release that to any other coach because the amount of times I've spoken to coaches and they've said something and I've said, I've got to remember that. Next time we play you guys, <laughs> I've got that written down. Do you find sometimes you might throw a coach sort of a red herring and, and talk to him or her about something that you actually aren't working on? I don't know if I'm, if I'm not smart yet. It's <laughs> definitely something, it's a good idea. Um, yeah, I think, um, but you know what? I think so much of the time, you know, because it's not a team sport, um, you can do all the system stuff, you can do all the stats, you can do all that stuff, but it's matchups. It just doesn't matter. It, it, if Magda's been working on a backhand slice um, and she's hitting it really well, but if you're playing Ash Barty, well, it doesn't matter because she's going to outslice you and she's going to chop you up with it. It doesn't, yeah, I think it's not quite as cut and dry in, in tennis as it might be in a team sport where there's a system and a structure. I'd imagine around the women in particular, because we're talking about Magda, that um, some of the players really like each other. Others have had past history with a line call or a behaviour pattern and they don't get on particularly well. Is it the same amongst the coaches? Yeah, I think it's, it's you know, obviously everyone in life has people that they immediately go, I really like that person. They're really a nice, nice guy. I want to talk to him. And then you have the people that you go, oh, I really, I've watched him on the court. I've seen how he's spoken in interviews or how he works with people and his results are good. I'd really like to get to know him. I'd like to try and learn something about what he's doing. And then you have the people where you go, that's not my kind of guy. I just, it's not somebody I really want to associate with. And, um, but, but then you also still have to be able to, to maybe not like or love someone, but still see if they're doing a good job and respect it and say, okay, I might try and take some of the stuff he's doing because I might not like them, but they're working. And I bet there's some times where you see someone behaving on court and you think, oh, I don't like that behavior, but then you might sort of have a lunch with them and start chatting and actually think, oh, I actually like this person. Yeah, it's it, it, that happens a lot. And, you know, we've talked about it, you and I, um, before we recorded, but sometimes, you know, the person on the court, if, if somebody came and sat next to me during a match, I would say 95% of people would say, I would not want to deal with that Mark guy ever. I would not be a likable person because uh, you're in the, the heat of the moment, the battle, the emotion. After that, 
I think I'm a nice guy most of the time, but I think, you know, you have to try and separate the two, which isn't always easy, but that's why I like to see how people treat, you know, it's always interesting to me the tournaments were in the transport and the driver will talk to you about their day and they'll talk to you about, you know, I had Rafa in the car this morning and, uh, and Roger and, oh, they were so nice. They're asking me about my family, whatever, you know, they're, they're friendly people. Whereas some of them, they, you know, it's always the same names that come up that are not friendly, that don't treat the, the, the work as well and stuff. So you can figure that out pretty quick. Yeah, it's those small things, isn't it? How they treat other people. What, in your opinion, and perhaps as Ian's as well, makes a good coach? Good question. That, that one question we could probably spend two days talking about. I think that this is my best answer for that. The best coaches I've seen are, are coaches that you could put into any situation and know that they would do a good job. Meaning I could take a coach and give them to a, a junior transition player that's 16 years old and wants to develop their game, but also, and I know they're going to do a good job. They're going to create a plan and they're going to execute. I could also put them with a top hundred professional player and send them on the road. And I could also ask him to teach a beginner nine-year-old at the club this weekend. That to me is a good coach because they can, they can adapt to all of those three completely different situations and they can, they can bring a value to all three of their clients, even though they're completely different. Now you get in more specific stuff where, okay, I'm the, okay, a tour coach. Now, if you say, well, what does, what does a tour coach, what makes a good tour coach? That's, that's a whole different question. But for me, the best or answer I could have is yeah that it's a coach that can be dropped into any situation and find a way to succeed yeah that's a good a good answer actually just thinking about the coaches that could actually work with a development player an up-and-coming junior and then a pro I don't think there'll be too many coaches probably that would fall into that category no I, I don't think there are and I think um the few that are out there that can do that really the ones that you think about immediately, that obviously Nick Bolateri was a guy that would be known, you know, he's created his top 100 players and his number one players. He, But you can also go to him with your kid who's eight years old and take a lesson and everyone loves it. Everyone enjoys it. That would be a guy. And, and, and I know coaches are listening might say, well, Nick wasn't actually a, the best coach. Yeah, but to you, he might not have been a great coach, but to the, to the clients he had, the, he always brought a value. And I think that's the, a great way of saying who's a good coach. And then you can get deeper into it. And so a lot of the, the girls, especially, they like a coach that can hit. They like someone that can hit the ball well enough to give them a good feeling, to maybe find them a rhythm or a groove. But then uh, I think that you would also find that you lose a lot of coaches there that are great coaches just because they're not able to hit you know, as much anymore. That does seem to me that something that's happening a lot on the WTA Tour is that Women are employing hitters as opposed to coaches. And I would say that they're missing out on a lot of expertise. I personally would rather have a coach than a hitter because I can get a hitter, another woman or another guy to hit with, but I can't get that expertise. What, what's your opinion? Yeah, I think, um, I think first of all, you say the men's side, the, the coaches there, they, there's a few of them obviously that can hit. But to hit with a top 100 get guy, for example, say it's almost impossible. The level is so high that not many guys can stand and hit with it unless they were an ex-top player. So you see like Magnus Norman, for example. I see him hitting in Indian Wells with Vavrinka. But Magnus was two in the world, I think. He was two in the world. But he's now, he's got to be 40, late 40s, hasn't he? Yeah, and he can still hit with Stan really well. 
but he was two in the world. So mm-hmm. his level was real good. Wayne Ferreira works with Francis TFO. Obviously, he was an unbelievable player. So there's a few guys out there that can, but for the most part, the guys aren't looking for a coach that can hit. They don't need that. There's enough, they, the guys hit with each other. The girls like to have a coach that can hit. And, and I think we've maybe touched on it before that just with the physical differences of men and women, a player like me, who was a very, very, very average college player, can hit with a player like Magda, a top 100 player, and be good enough to maintain a ball that gives her a, a decent feeling. I know, actually, I was talking to Tom Hill a couple, well, but it was about a year ago, and they actually made a decision, which at the time I was not, oh, I'm not sure that's going to work, but he hired a, a hitting partner that traveled with them for the whole year. And I got to tell you what, I give Tom a lot of credit for that because it wouldn't have been what I did. I wouldn't have done that. And it worked out beautifully for them. They did a great job with that. And she had her best year once they, maybe a year and a half ago, this was, they did a really good job. And I thought, you know, she doesn't really hit that much with other girls. You know, I always ask him, come on, let's practice. And he's no, sorry, we got our, our hitter with us today. It really worked out well for her. So I think you've got to find what works well for people. But I think for me, for me the only thing is with a hitter, is that you lose one, you lose. When Magda hits with me, she hits differently. It's just different. There's no pressure hitting with me. If she misses, I feed in another ball. But if it's another girl, ah, no, that can't happen. And also, sometimes, uh, in the <laughs> trying to say this the right way, one is that a lot of the guys hit a different ball. To, to you know, and, and people say, oh, it's a better ball. It's heavier, it's deeper, it's faster. I don't want that. I want the ball that Magda will see in most of the matches. I don't want a better ball and I don't want a worse ball. I want the ball that she's going to see. You know, and then the final part is that sometimes I think the hitters are so good that the girls are doing a great job. They're hitting great. Maybe they're playing practice points with that guy and they're playing perfectly, but they're losing. And then in their mind, they start going, well, I'm not playing well because I'm 6-1 down. Yeah, but you're playing someone who's just a better player than you. So you're losing because of that. But if you were playing another girl, you'd probably be ahead 6-1 if you were playing the way you are. So it's a balance. But like I said, Tom Hill did a great job there, took a risk, couldn't have worked out any better for them. She's been had a great year and a half, two years. So um, I think it's individual. Yeah, and of course, Tom Hill, the coach of Maria Zachary. Why do you think Maria doesn't like to hit with other girls? She prefers to hit with her practice partner. You know, I don't, I, I don't know if it's because she doesn't like to hit with other girls because she used to do it a lot more when she had uh, Tom at the start and the coach before. I remember. I just think it was, a, it's, it's definitely a way that you can control the situation a lot more. You can control the variables, and also I think, unfortunately, a lot of players, more so on the female side, get wrapped up in the practices of I've got to win. You know, and it's again we talk: Are you practicing to improve? Are you in practicing to? to to train basically to just do your volume stuff like you would in the off season, or are you training, are you practicing that day to win? And sometimes you have people say, no, you shouldn't focus on winning in practice. Ah, you should, you definitely should. Like we talked before and sometimes you have to, but at the same point, you know, Magda's now in Madrid, it's uh, Saturday. So she won't play till Thursday or Friday. If she goes out there and practices every day with another two hours with another girl and they play sets, it's great, but also how drained is she then by Thursday or Friday? Because if she's having to fight and, you know, I'm down three love, now I've got to fight back and get to three all and then I win. You're going through all those emotions. You're going to lose or use up some of that mental reserve. The the, the gas tank's going to lose some, some gas. So you've got to balance that bit. Like today, no, we're just going to do something with me. 
keep it, you know, we're going to work still, we're going to have some specific uh, areas to improve or work on, but we, we're not going to use up that mental side. And that's the bit that I feel like gets, when you have a hitting partner, can be beneficial. That makes sense. So you've mentioned Nick Bollicher and Tom Hill. Is there anyone in particular that you really admire on the coaching front that's active now? That's a good question. Any coaches, that are, top coach that might not agree with this one, but I'll, first, one thing I will say is Patrick Moratoglu is a guy that, um, I, do I think do I think personally he's the best in the world? No, I don't. But what I think is that he's, one, he's bringing a lot of attention and eyes to the game. He's marketing our sport really well. And he is having the guts to put out videos and his coaching philosophies and techniques and tips online. And he's opened himself to criticism. And most coaches don't even want other coaches to see what they're doing because they may be insecure or they're nervous about what people might say. Patrick's willing to put himself out there, you know, and I, I respect that a lot. I think that he's done a really good job um, marketing the game and more people are playing and watching because of him. I think that's great. I think Francis Roy did a great job, obviously, with Rafa. He just did some time with Sloan, but it hadn't worked out so well. But but he's a great coach. I think um, Ian, that works with Magda and I, he's a great coach, experienced, got a great um, uh, personality on the court. Uh, Darren Cahill does a great job. Um, those are kind of the sort of more well-known ones. But then again, like you look at guys like Tom Hill, for example, that, you know, might not be so renowned and they, they young guy. I mean, he must be one of the youngest on tour. Piotr Shishpatovsky, who's working with Shelby Rogers, another guy in his late twenties, done a great job, did a great job with eager. And you know, what I like about these younger guys is they, they bring an energy and an excitement and they're always trying new things and they're going to make mistakes, but they're, they're comfortable to do that. So I think there's, a lot of really good coaches out there. And then there's also a lot of bad ones. How do you separate the good from the bad? Is it um, the way that they act on court, the way that their player responds to them, the way that their player has a bad or good technique? Or if you watched a coach, could you tell in five minutes if they were a good or a bad one? You know, I think the first thing is, is how well do they connect with their player? I think that's got to be number one. If they don't, have a connection that you know it's the old saying they've got to know how much you care before they care how much you know and i think that that's really important in especially on the women's side because these girls need to have a feeling that they're being looked after i think that the good coaches as well giving away one of my secrets here but you must have an answer always have an answer because if you are asked a question I always sort of relate to it as if I walked into the cockpit of a flight when the plane was in trouble and I saw the, the pilots panicking, that would scare me. If I saw the pilots out of control and not sure what to do, that would scare me. So I think when Magda asks me for advice, when she asks me questions, when she maybe wants to know something, I always make sure um, that I have an answer, even if it might not be the right answer, actually. <laughs> Have an answer then, then find out the answer later on if you don't know, if you weren't sure. I think it was John, you know, John Wooden, I think, said, you haven't taught until they've learned. And I think that's a really good, a good quote, because I think sometimes a lot of coaches get sucked into teaching knowledge, but that's not coaching. 
because I can do that then on a whiteboard with a pen and paper and, and teach you everything you need to know, but that's not coaching. I need mm. to teach you how to do something, not just give you the relevant knowledge. But yeah, I always sort of try to break coaching down into the technical part, the tactical part, the mental, emotional part, if you want to call it, and then sort of the physical area. And I think in my experience over the years, the big thing is that the, the, the great coaches can step back and look at the big picture. And I remember reading Alex Ferguson's book and sort of how he said, you know, I think we talked before about being able to step back and look at the big picture and not see a, a shot. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're spending time after a loss talking about one or two shots, uh, you can't dissect the match on one or two shots. You've got to dissect it over a, maybe a 10 matches you take and you go, okay, what's the underlying patterns here? What's going on? Where do we need to improve? So I think that that's something I've learned from a lot of coaches. I've, that sort of, I suppose, mentored me, that have sort of taught me how to look at the big picture. Yeah, that's a good answer. I know one thing the WTA are trying to improve upon is having more women coaches out there. I think in the top 100, there's uh, coming to mind anyway, Patricia Tarabini, coach of Anna Kalinskaya, and then Anne DeVries, coach of Van Oetvank. Alison Van Oetvank, yeah. Kirsten Flipkins is... Um playing a little still she played doubles with bethany maddock she's moving into coaching so yeah there's there's a few girls out there yeah and the wta has got some nice initiatives going with that do you see in the future that uh, we may have some more women coaches and what are the barriers to entry would you say for female coaches could lose a lot of listeners on this question, <laughs> but, um, i think the answer to it is yes i think that you will see a lot more coaches female coaches in the future for sure Hundred percent. I think that it's it's a very complex question because if you want to talk about tour coaching, if you go to the club here, if you go to a country club in Florida, it is still male dominant in the number of coaches, but there are female coaches around because on a country club job, for example, you could still live somewhat of a reasonably normal life. You can still do a eight hour workday and go home in the evenings and be at home in the mornings. So it's still not great, but it's <laughs> it's a little more possible. The tour coaching job is a tough job. And that's, you know, there's 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 a multitude of factors. You can't do a univariant analysis on why there's not so many women coaches because there's a, so many reasons. One is um, barriers of entry, which there's definitely been. Two might just be, the lifestyle, it's a tough lifestyle. Uh, women, that, or a lot of the coaches like Toms and Piotters, and even when I started, you're mid to late 20s. Okay, so mid to late 20s, a lot of girls are maybe thinking about family or right. pregnancy and these things, and they do play a role. And I'm not smart enough or, 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 or well-spoken enough to talk about that in depth, but I think that there's a lot more reasons than just going, there's not enough women, bring more women. No, I fully back you and certainly not wanting you to get into trouble. I mean, I think um, from my perspective in my late 20s, I would have liked the idea of traveling on tour, but it just wasn't a viable option if you wanted a family. So I think it's going to be very difficult and I hope that it will change in the future, but I don't know how it's going to, to happen unless perhaps the female coaches are going to be in their 50s and their children have flown the nest and and to have their own lives. Exactly. The other thing I would do is if if I was you wanting to get a real answer to that question, I wouldn't ask me. <laughs> I would go ask those girls in the top 100. Ask them, do you want 
more female coaches? If yes, why? If no, why? And 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 because ultimately there are, are a lack of female coaches. There's no question. But then is it also a supply and demand issue? Magda has said in her conferences, I've watched before that she said that she she's always felt that she had a male dominance in her life, whether it was a dad and a fitness trainers and her coaches have always been male. And she just feels more comfortable with that. Petra Kvitova was very outspoken a few years ago. I don't know if she's changed her mind on that, but she said, I wouldn't want a female coach. But then there's other girls out there that really enjoy having a female coach. Uh, um, Elise Tamala, uh, she's she's Dutch. She's uh, uh, one of the most qualified people. She's, I think, psychologist, and she was a good player, and she hits great, and she worked with Alex Krunich and um, a couple of other girls, and she's a great coach. There's a lot of male coaches out there, but then there's also a lot of bad male coaches. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's not black and white. The women they brought to Charleston for that WTA coaching initiative is I'm really impressed. Like the level of preparation they'd done, the knowledge they had. What was surprising, I think, to me was that the woman that had that was shadowing me for the week was called Lan, and she's a Asian Canadian. There was nothing that I felt that I brought to the table for her in terms of knowledge on the court coaching. She already was qualified in Canada who has great coaching certification up there, um, education. She knew everything. I mean, she was standing, she would talk with me about Magda's tennis and this, and she was great. So she didn't need to learn any of that. I think it was more just learning, okay, so on the tour, what's tour, like, like this podcast really, what's the tour like? How do I book the courts and the stringing and how does hotels and transport work and when do you have days off and how you know what I mean it was more that stuff rather mm -hmm. than well this is how you teach someone to surf because I bet you that a lot of the club or academy coaches down here in Florida will be better at coaching that stuff than the ones on tour yeah that's really interesting all right thanks Mark uh, I know you've got to run but it's been great talking to you all about uh, the coaching side and perhaps next week You'll be in Madrid. We can obviously chat about uh, the Clay Court European Tournaments, Madrid, Rome, and then uh, Roland Garros, and also the WTA going back to China. That's a hot topic right now, and one that I'm sure everyone would love to know your thoughts on. Uh, for now, though, this is the end of this edition of uh, Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach with Mark Gellard. Mark, thank you very much for your time, and we'll speak again this time next week. All the best in Madrid. Thanks so much, Candy. Thanks, everyone, for listening.